values for me have been an indicator of what I'll really care about, what I'll really give effort to. Um, so if I do value trying to change the world or the world around me, if I do value my marriage and my children in certain ways, then I think it's possible because of I know I'll give the effort towards it. I just know at some point because of life or hardships or calamity or what have you. And in my own experiences, there have been seasons where I didn't value those things. I'm like, man, screw the world. My world's falling apart right now. My son is gone. I don't want any part of the world. I just want to be another person and move away and go back to the island where my dad lives and just be to myself. And then on another moment, it's like, well, she doesn't get me. So who cares? And the kids, they're, they're running around crazy and it's just too much to handle. And I just ultimately my value for them or, or them being those things being a value caused me to consider myself in a way that they would always remain ultimate. At least that's what's been the pursuit in this season. So I go to therapy, not because I just want to know who I am, but it's because I know it'll be a benefit to her, to the kids in the long run, um, Lord willing, one day to my grandkids. You know, it's just, I want to think about those things and those have become greater values, which is difficult because I, what I've learned is relationship takes risk. Um, there's just a risk factor in any relationship. And, and where this relationship is concerned, the risk seem greater because the proximity is there, the, the ability to wound one another is greater, and yet that value has stood out for me. So it's, it's become way more of a value than it has been in years past. You gotta bring up our fight. I mean, I'm usually right, but that's cool. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Hang on, did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're what a visionary. That? I see your I'm connection a- here. <laughs> Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is your host, Jeff, and... What? Andre. Oh, your co-host? No, like, no, we're like the hosts, Jeff and Andre. I know, but you, you you did it all different. You messed me up. I wasn't I, ready. <laughs> I mean, our listeners are getting boring. <laughs> Think about how boring it'd be if they heard the same thing every time. <laughs> oh, Why Jeff. would we even record it again if it wasn't fresh and new and exciting? Exciting. Just like our excitement last night oh my on our goodness. date night. I don't even want to talk about this. What? Why? It was such a great date night. It was your idea. He decided that we were going to bike to a restaurant to go on our date and the restaurant's like an outside big patio and stuff like that so I felt very comfortable during the season to be able to do that and then uh and the bike ride was about a three mile bike uh one it was way. supposed to be well one way is three the back is three that's six miles that's no, no. big deal the bike ride there was <laughs> supposed to be three miles Andre seemed to think she knew where she was going. Well, you let me leave. Remember that? You said you go first. (laughs) Let me tell you what I'll never do again. Uh, Trust you in leading directions. Oh, so so you say, turn left. We got to go further down left, left. We got to go further south. And I don't even know north, south, east, west. So I know (laughs) I didn't say south. (laughs) Meanwhile, she... 
directed me directly to the largest hills in all of Atlanta to be able to get back to the restaurant we're going to. I, I feel like you can't bike in Atlanta without hills. You honey. literally have an amazing ability to find the largest hills known to man. It's like mountains <laughs> in the middle of Atlanta. It's like all of a sudden I just moved to Boulder, Colorado. Just there for was dinner. a lot of complaining. There was a lot of complaining on the but bike ride last night. <laughs> I am no different than the kids. I mean, the kids, this is true. Well, it, yeah, exactly. Now we know where they get it from. You, okay. <laughs> Their dad. Your perspective on this is that we whine. It just makes the you The three stronger. of our perspectives are that you proactively try to kill us with hills. Well, it's not killing. I feel like I'm trying to make you stronger. That's what is happening. And then the, you feel even if you make it up those that big hill, you just feel so much better about yourself. Mm. Like I did that. So what I did for this date was really I just tried to think about something that would bring you joy. Oh, and that's what we did. You're sweet. Meanwhile, but do you regret it? Yes. <laughs> I will never do that date again. Never, ever, ever, never, 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 never. Oh, my goodness. Um, on the way back. On the ride back. So we were supposed to, it was supposed to be three miles there. It was, it probably was 10 miles. There. No, it was maybe four. And then on the way back, <laughs> the three miles back, we're going up literally the largest hill. This, I mean, it, it, I mean, if we were in a car, like our car would be huffing and puffing. I don't know if our Prius would make it up the hill. We start going up the hill and I turn to Andre and I say, this is why we need to get Edison bikes. Our friends, which are electrical bikes. Our friends started this company in Atlanta. They do incredible bikes. Uh, this show is brought to you by Edison bikes. Oh yeah, uh, they actually didn't pay us, but if you want to give us a free bike, <laughs> Jeff, just is because really... of this moment, I'm like, this is why we need Edison bikes. And you're like, oh, quit whining. You know, give me this whole bit back and forth. So we're relating me to and our son. And thirty and seconds later, to a T, these two people that are. Fl they fly by us, fly by us. And I look to my left. They're flying up the hill on their Edison riding Edison bikes. bikes. <laughs> it was like the greatest commercial for Edison ever. And we're also giving them a great commercial right now. <laughs> yeah. Because Jeff now really wants the bike. Well, well, here's the deal. Say. If I do get the bike, you're not getting one. You need to huff it and puff it up the hill, and I'll meet you at the top. You know what? I'll you see know you know that I top. actually wouldn't want one because I do my own work, yo. What a great segue to our episode today. Yes, a lot about health. If you're listening to this, there's a really good chance that you and your partner don't see eye to eye on everything. Especially health. Well, and how you attack projects. And hills. <laughs> All right, so today... Well, isn't that hilarious? So today we have... See what I did there? Uh, that was so funny. That was kind of like our... You're yelling, what the hell? All the way up the hill. what I was yelling. <laughs> All right, so today we have uh, great friends of ours, Danielle and Tadashi Anderson. They are... Um, Oh, they're so wonderful. Tadashi is an artist. He has a single out called Us. Um, look it up on Spotify or wherever you listen to music. So check out his new single. And then Danielle is really doing a lot of focus on Instagram. Uh, Danielle Anderson, and she's on Instagram. And she's doing online classes, wellness things, a lot of um, grief counseling. She's just 
a wonderful, wonderful person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, she is. She's a lot like you, which we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> like I could see her so on that hill. There's great things. Like so, you like love her because she's so great. I actually really do love Danielle. <laughs> she's awesome. All right. So, what should we be listening for? Well, hang on. I do think in that moment, Danielle. I think her approach with me would have felt different than the approach you had with She's me. She's a little nicer. No, I think it's just something about the person the person you're committed to when you're doing stuff like that. It never quite comes off right. I think she's just also very nice, much nicer than I am. She's yeah. a gentler spirit than what I am, yeah. probably. Yeah, I would have felt encouraged more than <laughs> barraged. <laughs> I did say, come on, Beaten. you can do it. I did say that. Three things to listen to today. Yes. Number one. Danielle, number one, number two, and number three. I love he says, but I was just getting used to Danielle number two. Babe, don't give it all away. It was so good. Okay, number two. um, Grieving together versus grieving differently. We're going to get deeply into that conversation and hear from their story. And number three, running is punishment. Direct quote. There it is, you guys. We're talking a lot about grief today. And a lot about health. And a lot about health. So I just want to, and uh, also the loss of a child. So I just want to let you know that ahead of time, if that's something that is triggering for you, um, just to be prepared when you listen. And so here we go. We have Danielle and Tadashi Anderson. Tadashi usually likes to say he, he saw me selling hamburgers on the side of the road. But that is not at all what happened. She was, you know, this random stray out there selling hamburgers, trying to make oh, money. Wow. And I was like, yo, you, you look like you need help. And I rescued her. So it's pretty no, not at all. So in reality, yeah. uh, I actually was working at a sports camp and I met a girl who was a part of, of a uh, college ministry he was a part of. And so when I would go down to visit her at the university, I met, I met him. And so we kind of developed a friendship and kind of things grew from there. I, th- I mean, that's basically, mm-hmm. basically it. Were you all in college when you met? He was. I was. I she, had, she had just graduated. Yeah. And so I went to an event and that's where I first saw her and was introduced to her. And then a year later performed at the same event and she was there again. But this time there was this heavenly glow about her. She had been working all summer at this camp. The tan was nice. The smile was beaming from afar. And so I just started to inquire, like, who is that person? And then little did I know it was her who I'd already met. But the Lord gave me new eyes, I guess. That's a little better than saying she was doing hamburgers on the side of the road. That's probably a little, little more magical. Yeah, that was. It was a little more magical. She she was definitely impressive from afar. And then up close, everybody had great things to say about her. And so I was like, wow, this is, it feels like a no-brainer, but let's just see what happens. That's yeah, great. Really, he was asking people about me, you know, without me knowing. He asked my, my camp director that year and just some other people that I was working with, who is this amazing woman who would take time off her corporate job to come volunteer at a summer sports camp? And it's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Y'all been married how many years? We just hit 14 on Wednesday. Oh, happy anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. And then how many kids? 
We are the proud parents of four boys, Jaden, Chase, Callan, and Kai. And then let's, I mean, you guys have been on quite a journey. So Danielle, you knew from the beginning that he was an artist and that this was his gig. Did you imagine your life marrying an artist like this, that this was going to be the trajectory or were you ready for this or were you disappointed? I mean, what was your experience with that? I did not imagine this life. I actually never imagined being married. I, I just, I just, I always thought I was going to be like this misindependent, climb the corporate ladder. And I didn't even want to be a mom either. It's just interesting. Like the life I have now is very different than what I envisioned. So when we, you know, when we got married, he was doing music, but he was also working at a church. And so I think it was while we were maybe dating that he decided I'm going to try to pursue music full time. So he was trying to ready me for you know, your life might look very different than a corporate America income. And, you know, I don't know what it's going to entail. So it was kind of like this unknown adventure that was, you know, being presented. And I guess I was, I was for it, uh, even though I didn't know what it was going to bring with it. Yeah. Yeah. And Tadashi, was this what you thought was going to be the trajectory? Not at all. No. For me growing up, football, growing up in Texas was the first religion of many. And so... And still is. Yeah, and still is. And so I was in love with football. All I wanted to do was play football professionally and eventually coach and teach like every other person in my family. You either play sports and and become a teacher or you go to the military and then eventually become a teacher. There was always that idea in the back of my mind is this is what I'm going to do. So when I got on staff at this church, in my mind, this is how I'm going to teach. I'll teach at this church. Um, I was doing college ministry there. I will dabble in other things that I enjoy, but this is what a responsible adult does. You get a a nine to five and you uh, start a career, you get your degree, you start a career and you get married and you get the, you know, 2.5 kids and the, you know, white picket fence, the house and everything else. And that wasn't anything that I saw coming was music becoming what it is now. I just had no clue. Um, music for me was a hobby and then a fun pastime with friends. And then eventually it turned into this open door that God kept opening. Everyone in my life was like, you should walk through this door. So Danielle was right. When we, when we were dating, I went to her and I was like, Hey, I know the church will hire me once I graduate college, but everyone keeps pushing me to this idea of music. And I, and and I think after praying about it, it's something I'm going to take seriously. But that would mean potentially uh, your life would look very different than a woman who makes a very decent wage or salary in corporate America. She was doing really well for herself. And so I was like, I don't know. Just want to think and pray through that. Um, But I had no clue it would be a career. And, you know, close to 15 years later, I'd still be doing music. That's interesting because like. Uh, I'm curious how how you view this in relation to purpose like like music has a timeline right like there's like a uh, you and you've been doing it for a long time actually much longer than the average person in music right like you've had an incredible career and so do you look at it as like a season of purpose or do you look like is that your purpose or is this like the start to what you're made to do. I don't know. How, how do you yeah. kind of, you're probably processing that. I don't know. Uh, somewhat processing. I always tell people though, I was like, if you, this is a side note, I always tell people, if you, if you want to, to think critically 
have a conversation with Jeff Schinnerbarger. <laughs> he, he asked the most intense and intentional questions that leave you going, did I waste my life? Did I not do what I was supposed to do? Was I, am I wrong? Like, bro, you make, it's a great question. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's all good. It's all good. It's a great question for real. Um, but no, I, I definitely am processing it still. But I think what came to the top of it all was, I feel like God made me a communicant. Um, and I've seen that flesh itself out in different ways. Music has been the primary medium over the last few years. But in addition to that, there's speaking that I do. There's writing in some moments. And a lot of times it's the one-on-one small group setting that I find myself communicating often with people. And so I feel like that's been, and this is from me talking to, you know, my inner circle of friends, leaders that know me well, uh, people at the label. This is everybody who's like, you're a communicator. So at some point, you might be a counselor. Another moment, you might be an artist. Another moment, you might be the person standing in the pulpit. Who knows? But you were born to communicate. You're going to be a mouthpiece that God has that he can use. And so I just try to lean into it. I love you sharing that because I think there's a lot of people that listen to our podcast that are on like a purpose journey, whatever that, wherever they're at in that, they're trying to figure it out. And and it's unique to talk to people that um, like like you that are in this place. And I think I love your answer because it's like um, whether it's in this form or another form, what you've learned is underneath it all. This is who I am. You know. Yeah. I, I just I think I appreciate you saying that. And then yeah. Danielle, when you look back at kind of the the track that you had for your life and what has Giving happened. Giving up corporate America. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Cause that's actually very similar. Andre, it's a very similar to her story of like, okay, she had a trajectory she was heading and then she met me and then I, it was not supposed to include you. It was, it was, Mm-mm. you're like, I think, I think we'd all agree our lives got better. All four of us. I'm just <laughs> yep, saying, yep. right? Just, I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> no, I, I'm just curious, like in hindsight, when you process that, um, yeah, what goes through your head? Well, I think one of the first things that when you were asking the question, I feel like a patriarchal view actually that was added to my philosophy. So I was in this kind of misindependent, loving single life and then got into dating and this philosophy of courtship through both the churches we were actually a part of at the time, which I didn't realize how some how patriarchal some of the stuff was. So then moving into marriage, I still had my corporate job, but I feel like I did begin to lose some of those elements of Danielle that I, I think I used to celebrate because at some point those started to look like not the submissive wife. Um, and so just, you know, went into that more and eventually quit my corporate job when I had my first son, when I had Jaden, um, which I'm not actually mad about, but I think I wish I would have had a different grid or lens to look at, to look through in trying to make that decision. Cause a lot of the stuff I do now actually literally was birthed out of that season or just into the season of motherhood. Like I am, I took a course actually this year to become a certified doula. Um, and that was something that I was birthed in me after experiencing natural child labor, you know, four times. So I'm not mad that I chose to stray away from the corporate route, but um, it's just different how I ended up where I am now. So yeah, there, 
I became the stay-at-home mom who I also have a homeschooler. So it's all these things that I just never saw myself being, um, but I'm, but I'm really good at it. Yeah. And so as I now, as my, my youngest just turned five. And so I do feel in the last couple of years, I felt this um, new trajectory. It was at the end of 2017 where I just sat with myself and was like, I am more than like a mom and a manager of home things. And I, I felt like I started to lose that. So I was like, what can I start to do to bring myself back to like knowing who Danielle is aside from these little people and aside from this house and even aside from him, like y'all are not my identity, but I feel like I've lost some of that. So I think I'm trying to regain a sense of self in the midst of my family and my marriage and my kids Mm -hmm. without letting it define me and losing myself in the midst. That's so good. How did that make you feel, Tadashi, when she had this revelation of kind of feeling like she lost herself? So you know how they say you, you're married to three different people over a lifetime or something like that? So I had just gotten used to Danielle number two, who changed after having our firstborn. And, you know, I recognize in dating and in engagement, things may be different than marriage. So I was expecting or anticipating that change. But what happened after childbirth was her becoming a different person altogether and not having the wisdom to know, oh, that's a reality for people that's going to happen. So learning that, I thought, oh, I'll be ready for the next change. I'll brace myself. It'll be good. Um, But I think we could admit for both of us, when she had this epiphany and realization and conviction, it was in a season of intense grieving and distance between the two of us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if you're distant from one another mm-hmm. and then one of you decides to shift in who you are, um, that shift looks like it's a it's another step away. Yeah. And so for, for me, I didn't handle it really well. Um, I struggled with watching her embrace this new reality for herself, mm-hmm. um, which now in hindsight, I can go, oh, this was more than necessary for her, um, for her own individual sanity, but for our good. But it was just hard to see in the moment dealing with so much of how good it would be. So I would like to like go into that grief part because I think that's really real. I think one of the biggest things that we've learned in talking to people who have dealt with intense grief is the, how you grieve differently and so how it's so easy to get distance and to separate from each other during intense grieving. You guys want to share a little bit about, you know, why you were grieving and what happened and how that impacted your relationship? Yeah. So in uh, March of 2013, we suffered the loss of our one-year-old son, Chase. It was just after, it was nine days after his one-year-old birthday. And it just came out of the blue. Um, you know, they, they can go, there's lots of details behind it, but basically uh, that Saturday, Saturday morning, uh, we rushed to the hospital with them. I rushed to the hospital with them. Tadashi was actually on a plane coming back from a show. And at the hospital, we got the news, like he didn't make it, he's passed away. And so that just ushered us into this season of deep, deep darkness and heartache and pain and a lot of just unknowns, like un, uncharted territory. So a few hours later, we actually met up again at the house. Someone picked him up from the airport. Uh, someone took me home from the hospital. And we just broke down 
uh, at the house when he got back. And that was really my first time to, to cry and kind of break down. There was this part of me like I needed to wait on him to get home mm. before I really let myself all the way break down because, you know, he's dad. And this was this is our. Um, and so in those early days and weeks of grief, it was just dark and confusing. I think we both started to try to grasp. We were told that you're, a new normal is coming. You don't have to like it, but you'll have to you know, get used to it. And so I think we were trying our best to, to get used to this new normal that we just hated. I hated you know, putting only one son to bed at night. I hated not changing diapers. It was just a hard, hard season. And so a month later, we, were, we started going to counseling and our counselor, the first time like, we, we sat down and I feel like one of the first few things he said was marriages don't make it through this. Like marriages, just, you know, the, the odds are not in your favor. Marriages don't make it through losing a child. And he kind of laid it out there for us. He's like, I do want to talk about the grief and I do want to spend time counseling y'all through this grief. But I also would like to kind of broader make this counseling uh, specific towards your marriage to help you get through this time. And so I do think he's one of the reasons that we are still together. Like his wisdom really was helpful, but it was just, that's just a dark, dark, dark time. So we grieved very, very differently. And we were told by multiple people, you know, where possible, try to grieve together, but that's really hard to do. I was the one who wanted to be fully submerged in all things Chase. I, uh, I cloth diapered. So I actually saved a lot of cloth diapers. Some were soiled, some were clean. And I would want to sit and smell them. Or I'd want to sit and smell his clothes. I want to sit in his room and in the rocker where I used to nurse him, and where I would read him books. I wanted to just emerge myself in all things Chase, look at pictures. And Tashi didn't want to do that. That that wasn't helpful to him. It wasn't helpful to submerge himself. So he wanted more to, to separate from it. And so when I'm looking at pictures of Chase, it's hard to grieve together when that's comforting to me, but like hard for him. Yeah. So we, I don't think we really did. I don't think we grieved together. I mean, there were things that we eventually I found to do. We started to put in, um, like just different moments of celebration, kind of markers in our own family. Like we celebrate Chase's birthday. We celebrate Chase's glory day. That's what we call the day he passed. So those things came along and those brought us together with, you know, there was, it was an anchoring point. But besides that, we really, we really grieved, grieved very differently. I also found out I was pregnant with our third son in early on in grief. And so for me, People had told me, you're gonna, you need to process and not suppress. You, you're, if you, you feel the need to cry, let yourself cry because holding it in is going to be harmful to you and to the baby. So I now had this reason to like, okay, let me try to be as healthy as I can for this little person growing inside my womb. So I was really fighting to deal well with my thoughts and to talk to friends and try to cling to truth in these different ways for the sake of the baby in my belly. And I think Tadashi, he chose a different route in that season. And we call it his sleepwalking season where he just wasn't very aware of things going on. I think he was so angry and so hurt. He almost just went into this like autopilot, like trying to get through the day. Mm -hmm. And you don't really remember a lot of the, a lot of that season. Mm -hmm. I think our counselor has explained that's kind of a part of PTSD. Even still to this day, you still don't remember that. Season. Yeah. There's this blank spots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so we still, we still carry 
obviously that pain with us, but that's still for sure uh, trauma. a large part of our story in marriage. Uh, mm-hmm. That happened uh, right after we had been married, I think six years mm-hmm. when we were thrown into what I call the school of grief, the school of suffering. Mm-hmm. And it has not been easy. It is not, it's just, it's hard. I remember early on feeling like, how can I, I don't have enough energy to to grieve my son and feel this deep, deep pain and also care for this man I'm married to. I, I just don't have it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have it. And so there probably were a lot of times where we didn't care for each other. We weren't checking in because our capacity was just so depleted. But you are together. We are together. And so I'm curious. Well, first of all, I heard you say multiple times, Danielle, people said we should do this or people said this we you know everyone probably gave you advice whether they even knew what you're going to or not in hindsight what has sustained the two of you that you might share with others i think foundationally for us although you can nitpick and point at a lot of different things when we were dating when we were single before we even knew each other that we were taught or heard um, one thing that we we realized is biblical um that was a foundation for us was divorce is not in our vocabulary. Like that's not a word we'll put on the table. And I think we both fought to hold to that commitment. And I know everyone's wired differently in in their own ways of how they process things like grief. So um, I don't want to use my like learning as like a, a way to shame them for what they're dealing with. But I think it's a part of that as well as I think both of us in our own regard Danielle is going to be intentional to make sure the validity of her name, her stance, and what she says she is holds true and is is right and good um, before mankind. And I feel like for me, though that matters, what stands out more is that I'm prone to be loyal to a fault. Like if you shot somebody, I'm they're they're not going to get nothing from me. Like it, I'll I'll just go down for you before I say anything. And so I think. Those natural inclinations coupled with that early on conviction for us in marriage about divorce was was key. But I think beyond that, in pivotal moments, I think just because of grace, we were both willing to do the work. Like we went to grief counseling. She mentioned that and it turned more into marriage counseling. But there were several times I was about to hit him in the face or I was just going to walk out. Like it was one moment she 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 like leaned forward in a chair like, no, 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 no. And I was like, all I could see was him on the floor. I was like, it's about to happen. Um, I don't like him at all right now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and he could recognize it too. He was such a godly man. Well, he so much patience, well-trained. And he was able to walk into some scary places with me that later he admitted like, yeah, I was nervous, but it needed to be said. <laughs> like, he, let, he let me know. He was like, this might not go well for me. He could see the difference between how we were grieving. Um, a good friend of mine in music told me day one after everything happened, the odds are not in your favor and the enemy is here to destroy what you have with your wife, to break up a home that your son who is still here would thrive in or who your son in heaven would would celebrate amongst the angels with. He's like, that That marriage is still important. Um, and so you have to fight to grieve together. Um, and he shared about his brother and when he lost his kid and all this stuff that was very insightful for me. So even if I couldn't grieve in a, in a similar fashion, I wanted to grieve in the same room. Early on, I tried to fight to be around her. Eventually, I stopped doing that because I was 
it was really difficult. But grief was the exposure of some things that were already issues between us, mm. as well as the excuse to deal with them or not deal with them in certain ways. Wow. So grief was a very honest part of our life wow. with one another. That line right there. Ooh. Ooh. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, Danielle. No, I always like to to say what just, you know, what he said. We definitely had just issues and struggles before before Chase passed. So I always like, don't blame Chase on our struggle. And I don't know, that's always just big in my heart. Like we we had hard conversations and we're struggling to communicate we, you know together and we're not dealing well with conflict. I mean, before Chase passed, but all that mm-hmm. just got so aggravated in the grieving process. Um, like you said, we talked about how divorce was not an option. I think that's we, we set that as a commitment because we both are children of divorce. And I think we just wanted to pass down a different legacy for our children. But we also haven't uh, experienced, like he hasn't abandoned me. So where I'm like, well, I need to go ahead and legally you know, end this thing. Like We haven't gotten to situations like that. But I do think that that commitment, trying to have a different legacy, and also, yeah, Jaden, still having a child at the house who we wanted to kind of maintain uh, a un- a family unit for was a huge driver in, I think, helping us to hold fast to that commitment that we made at the altar so many years before. Danielle, I feel like you have this amazing ability to identify the hardest things in life and look at everyone in the room and be like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to get through this. We're going to fight through this. We're in this together and we're going to do hard things and it's going to be like, it's going to be okay. How do you have that mindset? I, I think I've, I've seen that in you since one of the first days I ever met you. Yeah, I definitely have that mindset of we can do hard things um, and we can get through it. I don't know where that stems from. I'm an achiever. I'm a number, you know, I'm a one on the Enneagram. I don't, I don't know where it comes from. But I think part of it is I've, I've seen the Lord be faithful and I've seen the Lord show up in different seasons of my life. And so there is this confidence of he will get us through it. And so I feel like one of the first things I remember that lesson being taught to me actually was natural childbirth. I had these scriptures I was praying beforehand to kind of get my mindset ready for this natural labor thing, this hard work. Um, and once I got through it on the other side, I was able to look back and go, no, the Lord did sustain me. That was really hard. That was painful. And he got me through it. And that there was this like, oh, I am woman, hear me roar. If I can do that, I can do anything. I mean, it really was an empowering and a very empowering um, experience. So just as different things come along, there is this mindset of we will not be crushed. The Lord is with us. He will sustain. So let's keep, let's keep pushing. Um, and that was something I really... I had to cling to heavily in the midst of grief was no, I I know that the Lord is good. I know he's real. I know he's sovereign. Even though my son has passed away, that's a really hard thing to still be able to say, but I I don't understand how it works that you're good and you're sovereign and my son is not with me, but I know that it's true. So I'm going to, as best I can, like hold on to that anchoring truth and keep going one day, one moment at a time. And I feel like we said that kind of as a motto, We've been doing this one day, one moment at a time living for the last, in grief for the last seven years. Like we're seven years into our grief journey. We have a lot longer to go. And my resolve is to know that I, that there are new mercies every morning. And I aim to exhaust those mercies every day and go to bed confident that there's going to be some new ones tomorrow. And so it really has been this 
one moment at a time for seven years. And I hope and pray that we will continue to be able to do that type of living for the next seven and so on. You know, you're talking about your grief journey. I feel like you've also been on a very much like a health journey. There is definitely this idea, even with couples, with health (laughs) and getting healthier. Here we go. This is, yes. This is, I just feel, I'm feeling it. There's this term we use, nagging. Right. Well, so if one starts this journey and the other's not there or something like that, and then there's this like, I wish my partner would blank right? In whatever way regarding health. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about your journeys, how that came to be. And then are you both like on the same page doing it together? Or how did this come about with you two? There's a lot of smiles and looking back at, at and, each other. And going, I don't know who's going to go head. first. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's going to go honest. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I played football in high school and in college, junior high school, college. In high school, I played like six different sports. I was a part of everything I could be. And when I got older, I vowed to never work out again. Football was brutal. Working out was punishment. Running is punishment. If you're late, you run. If you miss a block, you run. If you talk back to coach, you run. You That's lose so something. True. I so feel true. you. That's I so feel true. you 100%. Yes, you know. And so I'm like, I'm sick of running. I'm done with working out. This is stupid. I've paid my dues. But the problem was, fitness to me from a physical standpoint was only pushed or positioned in my mind for the sake of athletics, never for personal care, never for personal pursuits. So it wasn't until Danielle that I met someone who was adamantly for her own good wanting to work out, which to me was weird. I was like, no, I'm, I don't want to go do that. I've already I asked my coach, asked the player, like we've done this. I've been lifting weights since I was in sixth grade. I'm good. And so there was a season where she was adamantly about physical fitness and I was not at all, could not care, did not care. And did that cause conflict with you two? Were you the I wish he would category? She said yes. 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 <laughs> all, all chill. Just, yeah. I'm yes. going to be reserved. I think it definitely caused conflict. And then at some point I would have bursts of energy or, or concern or companionship on my mind. And so certain things would be exciting for a moment, but the hurdle of overcoming everything that I've gone through physically. So I, I didn't know this until I got to college um, and got injured, but I have scoliosis. So my spine's curved in two places. It sucks to walk some days. It's horrible to stand, like stand for long periods of time in the same place. Lifting weights is, is, is sometimes hard. So there's always a, a, a pain of sorts in, in for me coming with working out. But then there's also just the, like, I've been in the place where competition was all I was about. And now I feel like everybody around me has gotten this workout bug. And I'm like, I've been doing this since I was in sixth grade. I don't need this. So how did you get over the hump of collegiate sports, competitive mentality to get into this idea that this is a lifelong health thing. This is a self-care. How did you get past that? So for me, um, where Danielle, again, Danielle has that mentality of we can do hard things. I've been more so in the mentality of life is hard and sometimes I don't want to do it. Life is hard enough. Yes. I got to add something to it. Now you want me to go over here and sweat and hurt my back and 
you know, for what? And so that was kind of the mentality. This is literally last night, Andre. <laughs> our date night last night was a bike ride. She has this amazing ability to pick the biggest hills to ride up. Yes, I like yes. found ride the up. most leisurely way. He's like, this isn't leisurely. You found you, every hill you, in Atlanta. You literally searched a geographical map to find the biggest <laughs> hills in the entire city for us to ride to dinner. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know my you know my struggle so well. Good. That's so good. So Danielle is also very um not only does she say can we we can do hard things, but she's also the person who sometimes seeks them out. And I'm like, you don't have to go find the hardest workout. The goal is to move and lift, elevate your heart rate. Why do you find the hardest one? And now you want to do that. And then when you're done, you come and turn to me. And you're like, oh, I feel great. How was that? And like, as if my answer is going to be, oh, I feel great too. I feel amazing now. It's like, nope, I, I regret ever coming down here and doing this. Oh, we do the exact so, same thing, Danielle. You and I are the same person. Yeah. It feels good when you achieve yes, it. Yes, it makes it feel so much better, right? But at the <laughs> core of this whole thing is like, there's two different people, two different humans that are individuals that at the, at the end, you know, we want to probably be healthy. We might approach mm -hmm. it in different ways. Is that a fair, mm -hmm. is that kind of where you land or how did you get to where you are now? Yeah. So to answer both your questions, at one point, I didn't want to be healthy. I didn't care um, because I didn't know this, but um, I was depressed for years and had no clue. I dealt with, since Chase passing, um, I definitely had my fair share of anxiety attacks and panic attacks and going through bouts of depression and feeling unsure and uneasy. None of the things I've ever felt before. And what got me over the hump was Danielle's efforts, along with coordinating with friends, to say, um, you need to go do therapy. You need to go to counseling. And reluctantly, I went. Reluctant because it's expensive. That was the only thing. And I really don't care about money like that. I'm like, oh, who cares? It's money. We're going we're gonna to leave one day. But in this moment, I was like, I don't, I don't know. My last few experiences with therapy and paying this lady this much money it just doesn't make sense, but I'll try. For you guys, I, I know enough about all of you, Danielle and my friends. If you say this the way you're saying it now, then I'm going to take notice of it. And so I go do therapy, and it really was doing therapy that pushed me to see, oh, I need to care about my health. The biggest revelation for me was I had become comfortable with living with unhealth. Unhealth was the baseline. So anything above that, felt strenuous, anything below that felt more commonplace. Um, and so unhealth was the baseline. It's, you know, it's like a, a parent who has unhealthy communication with their kids and, and that's that in that kid's brain, that's the norm. Well, it's, it's nothing for mom to curse me out and tell me I'm a loser if I disappoint her. And now that's the norm. So if you get abused again by someone else, you see that as the baseline. And anything above that is welcomed and anything below that, it's even harder to face. And so for me, I was, I didn't realize until therapy, I had this baseline of unhealth and unhealth because it was the baseline for so long looked normal. It looked normal to be certain things. And I said, I literally did not know that. And so therapy, talk therapy was the reason I was able to see past that and go, oh no, health, 
physically is a need of mine. So I should be concerned about it. Wow. Danielle, how did you like let go of the, I, it seems like for you, it'd be more, I wish my partner would, since you were actively on this journey of self-help, you know, caring for yourself. How did you let that go? How did you, yeah, partner back with Tadashi in that way? Yeah, I don't know. I actually don't think I've let it go. Like that, there are definitely still the, I wish he would, how come he doesn't? And so even last week I was having to remind myself, I I tell myself a lot, like I can't care more than he cares. And then someone reminded me and you'll never care more than God cares. Um, So I just, it was a good reminder of, okay, I don't have to expend all this energy trying to push him towards a place that he might not want to go to right now. Um, But the, an area of gratefulness and gratitude really is that him going to counseling last year and listening to friends to get into the door of counseling a few months later, listening to the voice of friends. Um, he went to see a doctor and got a physical, like a health checkup. Um, my thing about health, I, I always say whole health. And I think that's something I learned actually in grief was yeah. Before grief, I, I enjoyed working out and that kind of stemmed from my own insecurities. I kind of grew up in the suburbs with like a lot of, I was always around like skinny little white girls and I was this larger boned black girl that just felt a little thick, right? A little thick. Yeah. Like my thighs were way more thick than theirs. And so I initially started working out just out of insecurity. Like, Hey, if I'm going to have a broader build than y'all, let me at least be strong with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but then that grew in grief into learning into learning more about oh whole health like yes physical fitness is important but my mind affects my emotions affects my body and then learn about we learned about like cellular memories and how your experiences are uh, embodied in your in your physical person and so we're now on this journey of what i call whole health and so for tadashi watching him go into counseling last year and start to deal with childhood traumas and embodied experiences was a huge encouragement to me because I was like, okay, he is on this health journey. He might not be in the gym like I want him to be in the gym, but he is starting to be able to put words to his emotions. He is starting starting to be able to recognize when he's triggered. Like, and that is a huge, huge help. And for me as well, like in counseling, also, you know, looking back at childhood experiences, like, oh, the divorce, you might have resolve in your mind that this was a reality. And so when things like this happen, you go back to little Danielle, you know, you go back to your 13 year old self when your dad left. And so both of us trying to embrace our own stories and understand how they collide in marriage and deal and deal well in those situations versus, you know, separating and conflict or going away and being in, you know, silent treatment for hours. We're trying to to, to stay in it, stay in the game and, and have the hard conversations and be vul- and practice vulnerability and all those things. So I think years ago, health for me was only working out, but now it's expanded to so many more things. And so, yes, I still do the, I wish he would do this or I wish he would give effort here, but I am seeing him pursue this mental, this mental wellness, this emotional and spiritual wellness that actually is, is I think it's new in the past year for him, at least in, at the level of effort he's giving now. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a season where, um, I always told Danielle, I was like, man, you should have met me when I was younger and you cared. But I was like, dang, if you'd have met me when I was playing ball in college, you'd have been like, Oh, look at him. But now it's like, Oh, it doesn't work out. And I'm like, no, in my brain, I've already worked out. I've moved on from it, but she met me post that life. And so it's like, 
you never do this. No, I spent 15 years doing that. I'm good with that now. Um, and so it's, it's kind of having to regain affections for something coupled with a proper perspective that unhealth shouldn't be the baseline. And, and some of it is even me knowing, well, this is just going to be kindness towards her. So I should try to implement this at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the journey did like for her, my journey evolved from just physical fitness into this pursuit of wellness um, and just going, okay, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, environmentally, how can I be better? How can I be healthier? And part of it for me was growing and understanding. So I, I tell everybody, go to, go to counseling, go to therapy, sit in someone's chair um, that can help you investigate yourself. Mm. Um, we tend to live with this idea of ourselves that is complete and we have blind spots to the to the holes and the disadvantages that we operate in. And my therapist helped me to see these things, which then made me go, oh, I should care more about how my tone is with the kids. But where does that even come from? Well, in my home growing up, this was a normal tone, but I would have preferred a different one, I guess. And just realizing these things don't have to be normalized. Pain, suffering, they don't have to be normalized, um, although they need to be addressed. And so we've just kind of been on that journey. Well, I, I have a feeling like even the two of your personalities, the way you approach problems, the way you uh, tackle things is just different. I mean, Danielle, if there's a problem, you're going to attack it. And Tadashi, as an artist, you're probably like, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about it. We're working through, you know, like that. It's just like that different way you go, not just related to like all of life. It's like, yeah, it's kind of a different posture, yeah. a different, different direction, which is interesting. Yeah, totally. I'm curious in the last year, I mean, I think all of us have in the midst of the pandemic and we're all wrestling with new things that are emerging in our relationship. I'm curious, what's something new that you guys have found in your relationship this year in the midst of all this that, I don't know, something new that you've learned about each other or a new way to connect with one another in this time? Uh, for me, it's actually been some of the, this is not like happy, but some of the childhood trauma that he has, like learning his story more and uh, understanding what his home looked like as a kid. It has, it has given me so much understanding into, oh, that makes sense why this particular thing from the kids bothers you. Or, oh, that is very different than my upbringing. So I can see why an insecurity might rise up when, when I let the kids do this or I have a philosophy like this that just kind of seems a little bit different than what yours was growing up. So that's actually, I feel like, helped us open up just understanding, knowing one another, knowing our stories. Uh, we started reading this book called How We Love that talks about that. It talks about like those imprints that happen to you, you know, between those zero and 18 formative years. And sometimes it's trauma related, but sometimes it's just, no, this is just how we did things in our home. Mm-hmm. And it uses the analogy of like your soft, and, your soft clay in zero to 18. And then that clay kind of hardens. And so that imprint is just there. And you don't even realize that you're operating in these ways, but it's just how things, how things went. And so that's been really helpful to open eyes to greater and deeper understanding, acknowledgement, patience, compassion, flexibility, like all those things when you start to better understand where you've That's interesting from. for you to show that because it's like proximity this year has never been 
so great. Like you guys are together all the time. Tadashi's probably been on the road a lot in different like traveling seasons, being an artist. And, and so like those things started probably just to emerge just because of you're Proximity. together all the time. Right. I mean, that, you mm-hmm. start seeing it in new yeah. ways. It's, it's a, yeah, totally. Well, we are on our last question, which is the question we ask everybody on this podcast. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? Absolutely. I say absolutely because I think all of that comes down to personal definitions. Like, what does it look like for you? What does it mean for you to change the world? What does it mean for you to stay in love? What does it mean for you to raise a healthy family? And so I think once people can honestly answer those questions from their own experiences, from their own understanding as a couple, rather than trying to define that based off of what is around in the world, what other people are doing. That comparison game is real and it really is a thief of a lot of things. And so I think it's absolutely possible when you can stop and soberly go, okay, but what does this mean for us? Okay, that's realistic, that's achievable, that's doable. So now what do we need to put in place or what things we need to have around? What tools, what other people, what community do we need to have around us to help make that thing a reality? That's good. That's one of my favorite answers I've ever heard, I think, honestly. I've never said that before, but truthfully, I I really... Go ahead, Tadashi. Try to follow that, man. Yeah, I'll try to follow that. It's cool. No pressure. It is not. Um, Try to shock value real quick. I do think it's possible. I think the first time you guys asked me that, I I agreed it's possible with a little asterisk of, well, we'll see. But um, I do think it's possible because what I've learned in the last, well, since the last time we talked about it, those things have to be values of yours in a real way. And I think it's difficult for people when they're when they're not. Values for me have been an indicator of what I'll really care about, what I'll really give effort to. Um, so if I do value trying to change the world or the world around me, if I do value my marriage and my children in certain ways, then I think it's possible because of, I know I'll give the effort towards it. I just know at some point, because of life or hardships or calamity or what have you. And in my own experiences, there have been seasons where I didn't value those things. I'm like, man, screw the world. My world's falling apart right now. My son is gone. I don't want any part of the world. I just want to be another person and move away and go back to the island where my dad lives and just be to myself. And then on another moment, it's like, well, she doesn't get me. So who cares? And the kids, they're, they're running around crazy and it's just too much to handle. And I just, ultimately, my value for them or, or them being, those things being a value caused me to consider myself in a way that they would always remain ultimate. At least that's what's been the pursuit in this season. So I go to therapy, not because I just want to know who I am, but it's because I know it'll be a benefit to her, to the kids in the long run. Um, Lord willing, one day to my grandkids, you know, it's just, I want to think about those things and those have become greater values, which is difficult because what I've learned is relationship takes risk. Um, There's just a risk factor in any relationship. And and where this relationship is concerned, the risk seemed greater because the proximity is there. the, The ability to wound one another is greater. And yet that value has stood out for me. So it's, it's become way more of a value than it has been in years past. 
And now it's time for the breakdown. That was really good. Yeah. I was really appreciative of their vulnerability. What did you connect with today, Andre Jean? Well, wow, brought out the middle name. Um, I do think it was very interesting kind of how Danielle brought out the patriarchal viewpoints that came in and kind of affected her worldview. And then it affected like her decisions she made at that time. Mm. And that, you know, now she looks back and she doesn't regret it. But she's also like, I think I probably would do something different, do things differently. And and I love that. I love that now she's looking at things with a new lens. She's grown. She's changed. Um, and I love that she's out there now putting herself out there, pursuing her own dreams and hopes uh, with her wellness, um, you know, groups and things she's doing now. So, yeah, I think she's she's really plotting an incredible new direction, mm-hmm. um, which I think a lot of people are going to benefit from. She's such an encourager in that way. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff they were sharing was so vulnerable. And there's a lot of people that have experienced grief in all the different forms. Mm. And everyone experiencing grief struggles to find people that can relate. And um, yeah, their stories. I will, really I will say with that grief thing, um, they wrote an excerpt in a book called Joy and the Sorrow, which is a book all about grief. Um, it was written by Matt Chandler and all his friends and basically friends that have also suffered and dealt with grief. So if that's something that um, would be just an encouragement to you or help you on your journey of grief, if you're listening today, um, check it out. It's called Joy in the Sorrow. And then, um, yeah, I think that was uh, there. The line that Tadashi said, grief was the exposure as well as the excuse. Ooh. That was impactful. Yeah. I was really moved by that statement. I think it was a personal reflection on something they really had to deal with. And, and man, like it, it, you might be going through grief and this you could resonate with you. You could be going through some other hard situation mm-hmm. and blaming it on the situation. And I think that like, I think why I related with this so well is like, yeah, we can point to this thing and have it be our excuse. But at the, at the same time, there's things we have to work through as a couple. I think that's the core that he was getting to, right? Yeah, I think you could take that word grief out and you can put any word in there. You Mm. could put COVID. You could put loss of a job. You could put whatever hardship, whatever difficulty in that place. Like you don't have to have lost a child and grieving that to also be impacted by something and feel that exposure. Yeah. Blank was the, the exposure excuse. as well as the excuse. You're saying it way better than I, yeah. I could explain. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you can take that out and put it for anything. And I think that's what we need to do. I think we should look right now and introspect in our life in that same way and say, what, what am I in that blank spot using right now as an excuse hmm. or allowing it to expose the unhealth that needs to be changed or the things that need to be changed in my life. Yeah. Wow. Woo. They are good. They shared a lot. They shared a lot that we have to process. I need to process. I probably need to listen to this one a couple times. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that a beautiful thing about them when they're talking about is that they're continuing to be curious. I think that was true when they talked about at the end during COVID season, like what can we do? And during this time and, 
It's like continuing to be curious about your partner's story, about where they came from. I think we talk about this a lot, but I can't even stress it enough that um, that's how we stay connected when we're stuck together all the time and it feels like everything's the same. I don't think, (laughs) I don't think, I don't think they would have made it through this whole season if they would not have gotten professional help. True. Not, I mean, I know they're very committed to each other, not all that, but like, I think, and I think they might have, they may say that too. We didn't ask that specific question, but I I really want to take a moment and and encourage people that are listening. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you, you, you're wrestling with a lot of things people are saying, and maybe you've read our book and and it's just like, it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper, but you haven't taken the time to go get some professional help. We want to encourage that. Only 8% of all the people that we surveyed have ever seen a counselor or therapist. And we believe that number is way too low. So if there's anything you could take away, maybe it means that you personally or you and your partner need to go um, see someone to unpack some stuff. Because I think it really has played a critical role in their relationship. Yeah, I love it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We hope this was an encouragement to you. Absolutely. And here's another episode of Love Love or Work. was recorded by our favorite Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.